The Next CMO Podcast explores topics that are on the minds of forward-thinking marketing executives, from leadership and strategy to emerging technologies. And we bring these topics to life by interviewing leading experts in their fields. The Next CMO is sponsored by Plana, makers of the world's first AI-based marketing leadership platform, and hosted by me, Peter Mahoney, the founder and CEO of Plana, along with my co-host, Kelsey Kraft. In this episode of the Next CMO podcast, we speak to John Wall, a partner and head of business development at Trust Insights, a marketing data consultancy helping organizations who don't have their own data science teams with all things marketing data. John is also the producer of Marketing Over Coffee, a weekly podcast that discusses marketing and technology, along with his co-host, Christopher S. Penn. John has had guests including Chris Brogan, David Meerman Scott, Simon Sinek, and even Seth Godin on the podcast that he's been producing now for over 15 years. We talk all things podcasts and marketing data in this show, and I hope you enjoy it. Hey, John, welcome, and thanks for joining us on the next CMO podcast. Love to hear a little bit more about you and Trust Insights and Marketing with Coffee and all the things that you're involved with these days. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Peter. I work at Trust Insights. We're a small marketing consultancy. We really focus on uh, mid-sized companies that don't yet have the budget to have a data scientist. You know, they're not ready to pay a quarter million dollars to have somebody come in and start running machine learning models for them. We help them get their data in order, help them with their marketing analytics, and then ultimately get to a point where you're doing marketing programs based on all this data that you've got. And so my partners are actually Christopher Penn and Katie Robert. They're the founders, co-founders, and they had been working together at Shift Communications in the Boston area. And they were doing so much marketing analytics that their clients kept saying, hey, you know, we love this for PR, but we want these analytics for everything else, you know, for the rest of the business. And Shift then got acquired. And so they finally decided to break off and just start their own business. Now, in the background this whole time, Christopher Penn and I have had this podcast marketing over coffee, which we've been doing for 15 years now, which I can't believe it's been so, so long. We were doing so well with the podcast and the podcast had been driving so much business for Trust Insights that it just makes, you know, made sense for us to finally make this all official and work together, not just the podcast on the side, but make it one of the marketing programs for Trust Insights. And so that's, you know, that's where it got me to today, at least that's why I'm where I'm at now. That's amazing. So many questions that I have already (laughs) about this, John, but one, one is, I'm going to I'm going to get into the the analytics cuz that's really fascinating for me and and hopefully for our listeners. And but I I I want to ask a little bit about the the podcast because 15 years. I mean that has to be there must have been two podcasts back then, right? I mean, what did the podcast landscape look like 15 years ago? Yeah. So marketing of our coffee started in 2007 and so by that point it was still early. I think iTunes though did have podcasting in the app. So it at least was on, you know, it was available to the world. Most of the world didn't really know or care about it yet, but Chris and I were both very early on. So in 2005, Chris was doing the financial aid podcast. He was working for a company that did student loans. And then I was actually at marketing Sherpa, which 
only the oldest listeners would probably know. It was a lot like, oh my God, I must be one of the oldest listeners because of course (laughs) I know marketing Sherpa. Yes, a a fan of Sherpa. So I was at Sherpa in 2005 and in a tech mag, I had just read that there was this ability to stream audio. And yeah, at this time, so Adam Curry, the MTV VJ and Dave Weiner, a, a tech guy out of MIT, I, I can't screw up MIT and Harvard. You know how that is. That's like, could get me shot. But yeah, I believe he's over at MIT. Those guys created the RSS. Well, Dave created the RSS protocol and Adam Curry, the VJ was creating these daily audio files for people to test. And yeah, there was a point where I was in the, the, what was it? Podcast alley directory where there were about 240 podcasts. And at that time I was doing like a Don, I talk show thing. I, I, it was called the M show. It was 20 minutes. And I was literally ripping off the morning DJ thing, you know, but it was a podcast. So you could listen to it anytime. And it did run. I ended up, you know, being able to get about, I think it got to around 4,000 downloads an episode, which back then was, you know, top 5%. But yeah, it's funny. I reached a point in 2007. It was, I was down in Manhattan and I was at a tech event and looking across the street and I saw a billboard for the NBC TV show heroes And suddenly it hit me. It was like, oh my God, wait a minute. This is NBC. They have millions of dollars, you know, in these giant shows and they still have to advertise and promote their show to cut through the clutter. Like there's no way I'm ever going to beat, you know, like Joe Rogan. There's no way I could get to be a Joe Rogan or a Mark Maron with what I was doing. And so it was right at that point that I was like, okay, I need to find a co-host and we need to start talking about marketing and tech because that's a podcast that only I can make and do. And so that was the, the real seed for marketing over coffee. I had to beg and plead to Christopher Penn to set up a time to talk. And yeah, when we began, we were, you know, we both were full on marketing guys meeting at five in the morning at a Dunkin' Donuts in Natick. And that's really where it all started. And yeah, now it's, you know, 680 episodes later, we're still cranking things out. It's amazing. And if anyone hasn't checked it out, I I assume most people must know these days, but if you haven't, I really recommend you do. And we'll make sure we put a little uh, link to the show to marketing with coffee in in our show notes, and maybe we'll get you another listener or so, John, (laughs) uh, which would be be handy. I remember it's funny back in the day, I, I remember back to 2005 when uh, I was at a company then called Scansoft, which became, I renamed to Nuance back at the time, but we we acquired a company called Nuance out of Menlo Park. That's where we got the name. And there was this guy, young guy named Steve Gershik. And I don't know if Steve's listening today. Great to see you, if, or, or great for you to hear me if, if you're listening out there. But Steve said, hey, I've got this new concept. We really want to focus on podcasting back in 2005 and everyone thought he was insane and uh-huh. but he was clearly way ahead of his time and and it's amazing that that the medium has come so far so I could talk about this all day long but that may not be quite <laughs> as interesting to our listeners and and I do want to talk about data insights and data science for marketers in general in in what you not only what you do at Trust Insights, but really sort of the things that drive the needs for what you do at Trust Insights, I think are the things that are interesting. So you you mentioned the idea of, of serving the need for people who need a data scientist, but aren't going to spend a quarter million dollars on one. So what are those key applications these days that are driving the need for a data scientist for marketers? Yeah, we find that there's five areas where data scientists is easily applied, you know, where you can take advantage of machine learning. The first is text mining. Okay, so we see that very often and a lot of tools do that now. But just the ability to 
have some kind of app or machine that can go through a ton of, whether it's press releases or customer feedback, just any kind of text to be able to grind through that and get insights about it. You know, no, no matter how many interns you hire, you're not going to be able to churn through 18,000 articles a day. And so that, that's one of the, the easy wins there. Deciding who's in, influential, who actually drives business for you. Network graphing is the second tool that is very common that we use just having the chance to dig into, for example, social media, right? And not um, just look at followers and likes but be able to see, okay, when this person talks about our brand, it spreads to X number of people. And they may not be the biggest and most powerful accounts, but they are the ones that when things you know get on their radar, they tend to run and you get the best spread. The third one is data clustering, just seeing how things relate. That one's pretty popular in SEO. We tend to find that certain terms bundle up together. So instead of just trying to score for a certain term and be an expert on a certain term, we find that there's usually a basket of four or five, where if you write content on all of those, you tend to do well across the board. Fourth one is driver analysis. That's the CMO level one is everybody wants attribution analysis. They want to see, you know, which programs are driving business and what's working. Excuse me. And we have some machine learning stuff where we can roll up some of that data to give you more of a view than you would get just from straight Google Analytics. And then the last one is forecasting, which is, you know, the real shiny object people get excited about, you know, us being able to say, okay, here's the topics that are going to be hot over the next six months. A lot of that has really taken a real, you know, a real hit to the head from COVID because so much of the way daily life just proceeds has changed in the past year, you know, couple of years, but there's usually still some predictable stuff that you can dig in there and find it. And just knowing, you know, you don't need to be a genius to see this stuff. Like you as a marketer intuitively know that you should have had all your pumpkin spice posts done, you know, four weeks ago, because now that's when that's peaking and just similar principles apply to everything else. So those are the big five for us for machine learning, as far as uh, things to take advantage of. And of course, all this is predicated on having good data, which is you know a massive challenge that's always underestimated. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit, John, because obviously you 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 can't mine what you don't have. And if you if if you have lots of robust, bushy data sources out there that you can go through, then that's fantastic. So what are the key data sources that you think every marketing leader should have as, as an asset within their organization? What should they really focus on on making sure they own and build from a data perspective? Yeah, that's a great question. And I mean, it's constantly evolving. Usually as a company starts out for earlier stage folks, Google Analytics is just a great place to have everything. You know, it's free. You can get it up and running. It doesn't take too much work to get things going. So that can give you a picture of at least what's coming in from the organic and paid side. You you pretty much need to have some kind of CRM and some kind of marketing automation. You know, the more customer first party data you can gather as fast as you can, the the better off that's going to be. Um, and then it just gets crazier and more insane as you go up the line, you know, once you kind of hit that middle stage, you know, you start to see places that have 20 to 50 different web-based applications that they're all stitching together. And so now that becomes really crazy in that stage there, it transitions a little bit and you start making decisions as far as like, are we just going to trace the customer and is it going to be all customer touch points? Or do we have to break and start doing vertical stuff? You know, do we need all the ads data and we need all of the events data and all of the um, 
you know, it, all, I mean, there's literally, you can use the whole Justin Mayer's Gabriel Weinberg traction model. There's like 20 different channels. Like you can measure you PR paid social, all this stuff. You, you gather data on each of those. And then, you know, it, at that point, it becomes something that does have to have a steward of the data. You know, you do need somebody who knows where all these things are connected and what's what. And that's that's really where we can help get things in order across the line. Because the problem is the people that are in there building it are just, you know, maybe they've done it three or four other times. And so having an outside source that has done it 20 or 30 times with the same tool set just makes the learning curve a lot less painful. Um yeah. And then at the top end, it's just, you know, full on insanity. You, you probably end up going data lake or customer data platform or whatever you want to call these things where you have some single huge repository where you're throwing everything. And then the crazy thing there becomes making sure you're not putting stuff in there that you're never going to use. You know, you need to keep it lean and so that it's still manageable and understandable. But yeah, and that's kind of a whole, if you have an AI or machine learning adoption plan, you know, once you've got the data in order, you've finally reached that stage where you start thinking about transformation, where you're like, okay, we have so much data. Now we can do things that nobody else can do. You know, like the fact that Amazon, I can't say her name because she will wake up and yes. make noise for <laughs> us here. But, you know, her telling me, last week that, Hey, this projector you've been looking at for your home theater is 75 bucks off today. Do you want to buy one? Nobody else can do that. And that's because they've, you know, they take advantage of all the data in their hands. So yeah, that's the, yeah, I'm sorry, that's a long answer, but it's a, it's a long and moving thing. And it's a, it's an ongoing process. You know, you don't just sit down and say, okay, we're going to fix data hygiene today. It's you, you, you're going to fight with this for the rest of your life. So it sounds like there's probably an element of having an overall data strategy that's important. And that sounds kind of highfalutin. And, and that's probably, it's certainly not the point that I'm trying to make. The point is you need to have a plan and you need to organize what are the data sources that might be important for me and what am I going to do with them long term. And you brought up a couple of things that I think are relevant in that consideration stack, including the idea of, do you have the data junk drawer out there that <laughs> keeps everything and your wife scolds you once a quarter that you really need to empty that junk drawer? Or do you, do you have a coherent strategy about sort of the prioritized data assets that are important for me to maintain? And the other thing you, 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 of course, used a trigger word there a minute ago of, of, about first-party data, which, which makes me ask about the increasing importance of this kind of a data strategy with the upcoming challenges we're going to have in leveraging third-party cookie data. So I suspect that owning first-party data is going to be more and more important. But what's your view on that, John? Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny, it's kind of like solar energy in that, you know, maybe you don't agree with why you have to do it. Like you may not believe that the cookie's going to completely going to die or whatever, but you can't argue with the logic that having that data under your roof and having full control of it is just a better and easier way of doing things. So yeah, you have to be on board with it. Yeah. So we're seeing, I get we're, you know, looking that I guess in the next week or so, Apple's going to get rid of a lot of open and tracking data. And so you're going to lose a bunch of email stats that you used to have. And then of course, all the cookie, you know, third-party cookie stuff locking. I, I mean, I did see that have extended that yet another year and 
there's a lot of challenges with that. But the, and the other one too, that people don't talk too much about is the social free for all, you know, organic social used to be a chance to kind of make some things happen. And those algorithms have been cranked down so hard. And the, the basically biased against brands and companies is so high that that's just become a media channel. You know, you, you need to pay to play for most people on the social. We see very few people, you know, the rule of thumb of that is like, if you think you can succeed against, you know, whatever the four hottest podcasts are this week, then yeah, your content has a chance out there. But if it's more like, Hey, come check out our next webinar, like, forget it. You're not going anywhere with that. So yeah, every company that um, has any kind of data strategies just needs to be trying to get as much of that locked in as soon as they can. Uh, One cutting edge one for that, that we've been playing around with a bit is just text messaging. You know, there's a lot of tools out there now for text campaigns and being able to get a, more of a two-way communication with your customers going. I, I've been using this app community, which is just amazing in that it has some machine learning so that if I send a bulk text out to the group, it will bundle up the answers. People can reply. And, you know, if I say, hey, the Jabra 75T earbuds are on sale this week and, you know, you might want to check those out. And if I get five or six texts back as far as, well, how is the battery life on that? I can just say, oh yeah, battery life is, you know, I can answer that and it will go back just to those individuals. So yeah, a lot of the stuff is pie in the sky and looking to the future, but we really are hoping that with all that first party data and then the machine learning layered on top of that, you're going to be able to do a lot more one-to-one marketing, just be able to send relevant messages to the right people, you know, at the right time. And it's not that you're able to spam. It's that you're able to be a more powerful marketer and talk to the people who um, are the right people to talk to because they have the right interests and you have the answers to the questions they've got at that time. That's a really important point. Well, when I say that, you made a whole bunch of them there, John, but let me pick a couple of them that you made that I think I'd I'd like to dig into a little bit more. One is the idea of privacy and trust and and personalization and how how does this all fit in this world where consumers are now more and more skeptical about messages they're getting from brands or people they think may be posing as a brand. And you brought up the idea of text messaging, which is an interesting channel because it kind of cuts through, but it's also being hijacked a lot these days. And in fact, I've been getting a bunch of texts from my, what someone who purports to be my phone company, who's saying, Hey, you know, here's some special deal. And I know it's not them. And, and I delete it all the time that it comes in. But I I think that it's another one of those channels that unfortunately is has the potential to be developed by marketers, but it is often hijacked by these evildoers. So in the end, you end up sort of ruining another channel for people, which I'm concerned with. So from if you look at from a, a, a data and analytics perspective, what are the things that a marketing leader should think about as they go through the definition and maintenance of their strategy that will help them maintain the trust of their customers and prospects so that they can actually continue this dialogue over time. Yeah. Yeah. That is a great question. That's kind of the marketers ruin everything argument, you know, that it just continues to get worse over time. I think adapting that mindset from the, you know, all these tools help us just push more out to these tools help us put out what is relevant to the right people at the right time and not 
you know, just increasing the amount of chaff that's out there and making things worse for everybody. Um, yeah, Matthew Sweezy has a book out, The Context Revolution, that is a great primer on that. If you want to check that out, he's over at Salesforce, but has really written a great piece just on how, you know, it's all about the data that you've got and how it applies to what people are doing. So all of the data, for example, around all these fitness and tracking apps, like that's right in line with what that product is and, and what people are trying to do with that. So the more data you provide there and can provide to the better it is. But yeah, it's, I don't know, it's just such a very complicated thing because trust and privacy are totally irrational, really. You know, they are, I mean, everybody understands like, okay, I trust this person and I depend on a brand to do it. But the reality of it all is that, you know, if you were really worried about trust and privacy, you wouldn't have a cell phone and you wouldn't have a credit card. Like everybody's worried about the, the, the vaccine tracking us. It's like, no, the the chip is already in your phone. Like we know where you are 24 seven, we have this, but there's the promise that, yeah, as your phone company, I'm not going to give that data every to everybody. You know, I'm not going to send you coupons when you're in front of the pizza shop to creep you out. And so really for, for CMOs and other marketing leaders, spending a lot of time understanding your customers' motivations as far as, you know, why they do things, where they go, why they make the decisions they make, and at which of those touch points, what kind of data is relevant and important. And matching that up correctly, that's really kind of the magic of that strategic position is making that all work. Like a good example on a large scale is T-Mobile. You know, literally their whole battle plan has just been, let's go down the list of stuff that makes our customers angry. Well, that not even makes their customers angry, makes all cell phone customers angry. And let's just chop away at the worst ones. And as they do that, uh, they, they get momentum and make progress. Another, you know, kind of the rookie mistake people make with this is going way too far. You know, you can't just somebody immediately gives you somehow you get access to someone's text message. Like you can't just start texting them. You really need them to text you and say, Hey, I understand that I'm getting these kinds of messages and I want to, you know, I am interested in this content. Otherwise start with email or social media or whatever, start somewhere else, get their interest. And you know, all the hackneyed dating analogies fit here of, you know, go on the first date, behave well, and eventually you'll get the chance to send text messages, but you're not doing that from day one. Yeah. Interestingly, it's this idea of social pragmatics. And I, I spend a lot of time with people who have uh, disabilities and, and sometimes what they need to learn, some people is they, they need to learn social pragmatics. So when is it appropriate to say things? And it's interesting because we, we don't especially follow all those basic rules as marketers. Like you said, when is it appropriate for you to keep sending messages to someone if they've never asked for any information? It's just think about it. it. It's so funny that that what's often missed is just the basic logic test. Does this make sense? Is this something that your mom would approve of? <laughs> yeah. That type of thing. Is, is this being polite and normal? I, I think if we all followed that, it would probably be a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But that's the challenge of growing the organization too. You know, when you're a company of 10 and 12 sitting around, you know, the boardroom table and having pizza, you can talk about, well, is this right or is that wrong? But now when you're a thousand people and some senior management says, Hey, we've got to crank out X number of messages over the next month. Then somebody further down the chain is like, well, I guess it's okay if I hit them two or three times a week instead of one, you know? And so, yeah, kind of creating that whole 
map. And I think we've seen the explosion of all this customer experience or, you know, the buyer's journey, all that kind of stuff, I think is is driven by that exact same uh, philosophy. Absolutely. So if we look forward a little bit and say that the pace of change in new data sources coming out continues to accelerate and the the world of course has changed in the last 18 months pretty dramatically and the way that consumers are behaving the way that companies are behaving how as a marketing leader do people keep up with the continually changing landscape of data sources and approaches that that are out there so that they can make sure they're just following the right basic principles and doing and not missing something big at this point. How do they keep up? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> Some days I feel like if you could tell me the answer to that, I'd really appreciate it because we just spend so much time trying to stay on top of what's going. But I think it comes down to having a good network of people. And I think like what we're doing right here is the core of that. If you have a network of people who are all trying different things, and as long as everybody you know, is trying one or two things all the time, eventually that will surface. And yeah, unfortunately, I think that's like a huge loss for us. I mean, we're right in the core of marketing events season here. And most people agree that like the best part of these events are not that you go to the session and you go to the exhibit floor, but you go out with like your five buddies that are CMOs and VPs at other companies and you go to dinner and you can say, Hey, have you been trying, you know, how's this working? How's that working? And you trade these ideas and figure out what's going on. But yeah, I think that's one thing it's constantly underestimated the level of churn that we have been living in compared to many other professions. I mean, I really get the feeling that if you have a grip of like 15% of what's going on, like you are six or 7% ahead of the average in the rest of the industry. Whereas, you know, in other industries, it does seem like, you know, the people that have been there 20, 30 years know like 80 or 90% of what's going on. And so, but yeah, the only, solution is to definitely have everybody and have this mindset of we're always testing. You know, you're always trying out new stuff. You, you know, we have a spreadsheet. I call it the eye chart because I've totally stolen that from Scott Brinker's MarTech chart. You know, it was like he made this map of MarTech providers and now there's like 7,000 logos on this impossibly small to read thing. But I have a list of like, here's all these different vendors. Here's the vertical they're in. And at least once a quarter, pick one of those and go in and dig into a vendor or two and just see what's going on and see how it works. And like I said, this community text thing is you know on the hot list right now. But and, and yeah, ultimately that does fall to the CMO's chair too. You know, if it's kind of unfortunate and scary, but like the last thing the CMO wants is for a board member or the CEO to come into their office and be like, hey, what's going on with TikTok? What are, why aren't we doing anything on TikTok? And having to go through that is you know, that's just part of the job. That's part of wearing the badge, but yeah, you want to try and stay in you, the ultimate goal to that is the CEO comes in and, and you say, yes, you know, we did a trial on that six months ago and here's the data. And it didn't really, you know, it's not a match for who our customers are and how they behave because they don't want to watch, you know, 30 second videos of cats or people being you know beaten. So that's not a match for us today, but you know, to stay ahead of that is, yeah, that's a never ending battle. It's interesting because you mentioned the idea of networking with your friends, and and I, I find that that for many years I tried to do that and stayed in touch with a core set of people, and and the, I realized that the people who I was communicating with were one getting older because I am, 
And two, we're just really homogeneous. And, and that's an issue. And so you really miss things unless you introduce a, a diversity of thought and opinion and background into the discussion. And I, I recently developed a little hack to try to do that. My, my initial thought was maybe I'll just like hang out at bars and meet young people. But, <laughs> you know, my, my, my family probably wouldn't appreciate that too much. And, and I'm too boring to do that anyway. So that isn't too good. So what I started doing is I, I uh, launched this new program I call Open Office Hours. And, and I, I make 15-minute slots available for anyone who wants to talk to a experienced CEO, CMO kind of person. And, and I just put it out there. And I put it on my Twitter profile and in different social settings. And, and I, I have a, a full docket and people come all the time. And, and it's amazing what you learn from typically much younger people who want to ask questions. And they're asking questions about things that sometimes I haven't thought about before. And, and I find it, it's really amazing to introduce that new thought into, into the discussion. Because otherwise, you, you're literally stuck with the same group of old guys who are talking about the same stuff. And that's, that's just limiting, I think, in, in your thought. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And we could talk for hours. I mean, that's just the classic filter bubble problem of what's going on. And you could, like one group that I've gone out of my way, and I have to say the podcast is a huge leader for this, you know, because there's this whole group of marketers who have come up now who are totally adept at stringing together 35 web-based solutions and making that their whole core thing. You know, the the house list, you know, writing your own sequel thing is, is becoming not as common as it used to be, but yeah, that, that is a great point. And that you really have to work to keep a diverse uh, set of sources on that because yeah, everybody, the concrete sets on your tool set and you really, it takes a lot to dislodge that where the people who aren't um, tied in and haven't made those same kind of long-term commitments to tools are uh, definitely able to move like superhuman for email or something like that. You know, those things changing your, your whole workflow, there's switching costs that the younger people don't have. Exactly. Certainly they're adept at trying new things. And when we're stuck in the ruts of our old ways, sometimes it becomes a little bit harder to do. So no, that's, that's great. So we're, we're getting kind of close to the end of our time, believe it or not. Before I, I go into a last question, just help us understand how we can learn more about you and Trust Insights. Yeah, sure. You know, marketingovercoffee.com is a place one stop for the podcast. I'm over at trustinsights.ai. We've got the site over there, gives you the overview of what's going on. And yeah, always on LinkedIn or Twitter. Feel free to connect with me over there. Great. And we'll add all those little linky things in in the uh, the show notes if you're uh, if you have those handy and make it easy for you to connect with John and I recommend that you do all of those things. Marketing with Coffee is a is a great podcast. Uh Great history, obviously, and I've learned more and more about Trust Insights, and it seems like an exciting place. So appreciate that, John, in the discussion. And and that leads us to our last question we like to ask everyone, which is, what advice would you give to CMOs or those aspiring to become a CMO? Yeah, the, the one answer for aspiring CMOs, it is just critically important that you understand product marketing. You've got to go down the product marketing side and I would even say that that needs to be your ultimate profession and understanding because there is this whole track you can follow of 
if you go down lead gen and advertising and a bunch of these different areas, you can become the kind of CMO that jumps into a company to help grow the business and take it over. But you're never going to cross over that line to get closer to CMO or CEO or at least get a decent chunk of equity so that you can have a real life-changing event financially. If you kind of stick on that lifestyle where you're marketing, but you really don't care what the product is, it's a lot more difficult to get to any kind of point where you have a real leadership role. And you're, uh, and I hate to say it in worst case situations, you end up being a human shield for, you know, the VP of sales and the CEO, you know, you have three bad quarters and the CMO is the first one that gets kicked and you'll see that in the retention numbers, you know, over time. So yeah, go down the product marketing track. There's a bunch of different ways you can do that and understand that. But at one end, there's like pragmatic marketing is a great framework for understanding that. But at the other end is just make sure you're talking with customers every day, like understand the industry and what the company's doing by getting feedback direct from customers. Because yeah, that's in the long term, that's what's going to make you more successful. Well, that's great, John. And as someone who spent a lot of his career in the product marketing track, that's it's great to hear that you think it was a reasonable one. And I feel, I feel a little bit better about my choices along the way. I really enjoyed the discussion today, John, uh, and, and appreciate staying connected. And for those of you who are listening, if you have ideas about guests or topics for the show, Drop us a note at the next CMO at plana.com and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Please subscribe, rate our show if you like it. Don't rate it if you don't. Uh, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Have a great day. Great to be with you today, John. Oh, thanks, Peter. My pleasure. 